healthy from the inside out. This is Valley Well via Salud, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week, we go in-depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Valley Well via Salud. I'm your host, Lauren Vargas. The novel coronavirus or COVID-19 has changed all of our lives, but while some of us are told to stay home and away from everyone else, our healthcare heroes are on the front lines battling this virus day in and day out. So today we're talking with Dr. Frank Lavecchio. He's an emergency medicine physician with District Medical Group at Valleywise Health Medical Center. Dr. Lavecchio, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Lauren. Thanks for having me. So up until now, this show has been recorded in a studio at the hospital. I normally sit face-to-face with the medical experts. Uh, today, we're doing things a little bit differently. We're, we're talking to each other through a webcam in a virtual setting. And I think that's going to be the reality for a lot of us uh, who are working, trying to go to school, or just trying to stay connected with others. How do you feel like the world has changed from COVID-19 so far? Commenting on my world, the medical world, I think it's changed tremendously. Uh, One, there's, for the better, there's more acceptance of telemedicine. And I think it's important for us to realize that, you know, you can't get an appointment with your doctor or it's hard, they're booked, everyone gets booked for 15 minutes. To be honest, some patients just need a renewal of their medications, maybe their blood pressure checked, and they're okay. There's a lot we can do just by looking at you. I think it's not been accepted. There's a million reasons why it's not been accepted. One is insurance companies traditionally don't pay for it or don't reimburse adequately. And then the other big one is HIPAA. And uh, you know, there's thoughts that if your information goes through the internet, somehow someone could pick out that you have high blood pressure and use that against you or something. Obviously there's more serious things than high blood pressure, but I think we got to get over that. HIPAA is used as an excuse for lots of things. It's important that, you know, I shouldn't know your business, et cetera. But you should decide that. Lauren, if you want the world to know that you have high blood pressure or, you know, you want to be a spokesman for that, that's fine. That should be your decision, not mine. I think a lot of people use HIPAA as a way to do different policies, et cetera, that, you know, we probably don't need as many. It's, it's, it's handcuffing us at times. So you think telemedicine will be here to stay even after um, the end of this? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Once it gets started like this, I think it's hard to pull it back. I think the other thing is that we've discovered, I think as a country, we're probably not ready for something like this. And, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes. You know, Uh, it's also good to learn from what other people do. Look at what South Korea did. South Korea, maybe you can look at it as the advantage, but they had SARS in early 2000s. And they realized that a lot of people could have gotten sick then. SARS is a much different disease than this, even though it's in the same virus family. But the interesting thing about SARS is when you get sick, that's when you're contagious. The thing that hurts us with COVID-19 is you're asymptomatic or don't have any symptoms for a couple of days. You might stay that way for you know the whole two weeks or so, or you might get sick on the fifth day, but all those days before, you were giving it to your friends and relatives. So why are there so many different reactions to this virus? Why are some people asymptomatic and some people are getting really sick? How does that work? Uh, that's a that's a great question. You know, why are so many people acting differently towards this? Well, a lot of people say, you know, what's your immune status? Okay, that's a big one. Obviously, the older you are, your immunities are altered. You know, the more medical problems you have, the more likely you ought to get an infection. 
But when you think about it, the most vulnerable should be the infants, the very small babies. And most of them are getting it and not having an issue. So it's very, very confusing for us. I know never say never. And, you know, there's very, very few deaths in very, very small kids. Um, there's very few deaths in adolescence. So it, it's troubling us. The other thing is, you know, the social distancing thing, uh, et cetera. Um, I think there's a lot of healthcare providers that get it because they're getting probably a, a higher inoculum. They're getting more virus. So people talk about it lasting up to three days on plastic. If they add you know, a virus and then three days later you touch it, it's much less likely to give it to you than the first day when you add you know, you know, whatever, a couple drops as opposed to like a microspasm of, of the small bit of virus. So that has a lot to do with it also. So we've been tracking the coronavirus in the U.S. for several weeks now, maybe months, and things are really changing really fast by the day. Talk us through the current situation in the hospital that you're seeing right now. I can speak for the emergency department and some of the ICUs. I think the way we're set up is totally different. Now, when you walk in, you can't even walk into our place without, one, washing your hands and getting questions. You know, do you have respiratory symptoms? Do you have a fever, et cetera? We are so fortunate to live in Arizona in that we can put people outside in a waiting room and we have an outdoor waiting room. And then we have an area where we call like the, the well patients with COVID that if you think we, we think you might have it, you have a cough, shortness of breath and a fever, but your vitals look good. You're otherwise well, you're healthy. We evaluate you before you even get into the emergency department, technically our old waiting room. And then as you get in, if you do have it and you're serious, we have these rooms where the air gets sucked out or, you know, in other words, not redistributed throughout the hospital. So that reality is hurt. The other thing is that, you know, now we're being more cautious with, you know, uh, exposure. Uh, we're all getting masks, which we always should wear masks when we get exposed to people or evaluate people with potential respiratory illness. But now there's an issue of, you know, rationing it a little bit. There's an issue of, you know, how much is enough with personal protective equipment. And again, if you look at the South Korea example, you know, they look like they were coming from Mars. Okay. How do you, um, how does it make you feel to see the changes in the hospital? I think it's good that we're, you know, well, the, the most important thing is that I think we're doing the right thing. I think that, you know, we're doing the right thing with what we have. In an ideal world, we would have more testing. And I think the more testing is going to come. In an ideal world, we'd have all these respirators on hold and all these masks on hold and personal uh, protection on hold and ready to go in case this happened again. But think of it from the hospital standpoint. We're all a bunch of individual hospitals. Why would a hospital do that stuff? That's an expense. It might go old, et cetera. And I think it's, a t it's time or a call for maybe like the federal government to kind of step up and maybe do some of these things to say, hey, look, you know, if something like this happens again, you know, we have all these ventilators on hold or we have these, you know, uh, we can make a hospital right away. If you see what China did, they built a hospital in less than a week, you know, strictly for COVID patients. I don't think we're ready for that. And um, I think hopefully we will be. And this will be like a wake up call. So for those of you just tuning in, we are speaking with Dr. Frank Lavecchio about the latest on the fight against COVID-19. There are many sick people in our state, in Arizona. Um, we, we have several at Valleywise Health Medical Center. So what is, what is it like for those people? I know there's different um, 
you know, sicknesses and different levels of sickness, but what is the typical day for someone who has COVID-19 and is in the hospital? What are they looking at? You know, I think, I don't want to say we, we try to guess if you have COVID-19, but there's patients that come in that I evaluate and I say, look, I'm pretty sure his test is going to come out positive. And a lot of those patients have fever. So most patients develop a fever, you know, depending on who you read, about 90% of patients will have a fever, if not all. And um, the thing I notice a lot is the shortness of breath. And it's not just shortness of breath, you know, hey, yeah, I can't get a little air. That these people, they move a little bit and then they become so markedly short of breath. Just doing something as easy as, you know, getting up from the chair. Okay. Um, sure, there's a cough. Sure, there's body ache. And interestingly enough, uh, a lot of them have diarrhea. When we do get chest x-rays back, many times we obtain chest x-rays on them. In fact, almost always. We see pneumonias that don't make sense or not typically that we see. We see different areas light up across the chest. In other words, not just in the right side, it could be the right side, the left side, the middle, the upper, the lower. So what we call is like patchy infiltrates uh, throughout and they're kind of uh, unexpected. So the lack of oxygen, that air hunger, you know, that sometimes diarrhea, that, you know, cough, but really getting shorter breath with just minimal exertion and somebody who's, you know, not an asthmatic or doesn't normally get that way, for me, is one of the best predictors so far. And there's a great site from Emory Medical School. It's called c19check.com. And, and c19check.com is something really cool. They've taken all these facts that we say, well, most people have fever, most people have cough, and you can kind of go in and check your facts. And it helps us because these are things that I would tell you about staying home or not. And you can kind of check them off. Maybe our, our listeners can try it, um, maybe make examples of it. But you know, if you have a fever, cough, and you have marked short of breath, um, and you have comorbidities, they usually recommend you going in. But interestingly enough, if you check some of the other things off and you're healthy, they'll tell you to stay home and maybe retake the test in a day or so, which I think is important for us. The other thing they tell you to do is to self-isolate. So, Dr. Lavecchio, you have a blog on valleywisehealth.org right now um, about the difference in um, identifying the symptoms among uh, flu, allergies, or is it COVID? And it sounds like some of the symptoms you're saying are, are very similar to all of those illnesses. So how can people tell the difference? Um, that's a great question. And I think a lot of the symptoms of COVID or a common cold or the flu or seasonal allergies um, they are very, very similar, and it is difficult. The most definitive way is to get a test, and that's easy to say but hard to do at this current time. But most times when you get allergic rhinitis or a runny nose, et cetera, if every year you get it at this time, if every year you get a sore throat associated with it, if it gets better with your typical medications, you know, your anti-allergy medications, whether it be a nasal spray or a tablet, and it's exactly like it, you know, it's probably just allergic rhinitis, okay? Um, if you get a fever, I think that's a little bit more worrisome. If you get shortness of breath, that's a little bit more worrisome. If you get shortness of breath on exertion, very, very uh, worrisome. So I think one of the things we hang our hat on a lot is the fever, um, try to pay attention to that. I think it's not unreasonable to take your temperature every day. Remember, we don't necessarily want you in the hospital if you're well. In fact, we don't, technically. Maybe you can do a telemedicine sort of visit with your doctor or some other means, but if you're hydrating well, controlling your fever well, 
and don't have these significant comorbidities, I think it's safe to stay home. So you said it is difficult um, for many people to get a test. So I know we've talked about this a lot, but um, how does that work? And when should you go and, and get tested? Well, it changes every day. And I think, um, I, I think with a little time here, I think anyone who wants a test will probably be able to get it, you know, whether they have to pay out of pocket or maybe through the insurance company or have to have symptoms. But that's probably at least a week away. And the issue is some of these machines came out and they have a lot of false negative rates, which, you know, it's kind of a catch 22. And some of them have false negative rates up to 20 percent, which, you know, I might tell you that you don't have it. And then, you know, you actually do because, you know, the test was negative, but it wasn't correct. And that could be that maybe I didn't spin it around in your nose enough or, you know, other reasons. So we have to be careful of that. But I do think a test is important in the sense that I think you would act differently if you had a family and you were positive, right? Right now, we're supposed to just assume that we're positive while we're walking around, et cetera. But if you were positive, I think you would really take self-isolation, you know, to the next level. You know, you probably wouldn't be around with your family, et cetera. So a lot of us are social distancing right now, and it's making a really big impact on our lives. Businesses are closing. People are losing their jobs. It's hard for us to connect with loved ones. How much do you think this social distancing is really making a difference? Oh, 100% certainty it's uh, making a difference. We actually get a good grade for social distancing in Arizona. And there's interesting sites and government stuff where they're watching where your cell phones are, et cetera, and see how, how much you move. And we're actually doing quite well. There's no doubt that, you know, if we didn't have this, it would overwhelm our system here in Arizona. I don't want to say we're in great shape, but, you know, most likely we're going to probably hit our peak somewhere around late April. Most people say the 25th, 26th, 27th or so. And I think we're going to be okay. Probably with beds, we're probably going to run out of ICU beds. And if we could flatten the curve a little bit, in other words, not all of us get sick at that one time we can make more room for the ICU beds if we need it. The great thing about us getting it late, you know, later than New York and stuff like that is other states might have gotten it, getting over it, and then we could kind of maybe ship patients to their states or healthcare providers, et cetera, or actually just the ventilators. So social distancing is one thing that people can do. It sucks. You know, for me, it sucks. The hardest thing of this whole thing is say, how is it going to work? How is it putting on all that garb, cleaning afterwards, is not seeing my kids. I am not seeing my kids at all, you know, separate house, uh, et cetera, because I don't want to get them sick. And that was a, a family decision that we made. But the one thing we say that you can do to stop the spread, of course, is social distancing. Obviously, you know, wash your hands, right? Washing is much better than Purell, uh, et cetera. And wash for a good amount of time. People say happy birthday twice. Yeah, that works. People also talk about the masks the cheaper masks, for lack of a better word, are okay in the sense that if I have it and I cough into it, it'll stop you from getting it. That's the best benefit. In the hospital, lots of times we use M95 masks that fit a little bit better. And a lot of us don't even put them on. They say, you know, it stops about 40% to 60% of the virus from going through. But the other masks probably don't stop much of the virus from going through. Now, let's say somebody coughs on you and there's actually liquid droplets, et cetera, that mask will stop you from getting more inoculum. In other words, instead of throwing a gallon of water on you, maybe they just threw a tablespoon on you and it kind of decreases your chances. 
So they're not useless, but they're most effective if you have it and trying to give it to somebody else. I think for now, if you had them, it's a socially responsible thing to do. It's probably to wear it in public. You know, if you're going to go to a grocery store, shopping, et cetera, you might have it. You might be one of those 85% that are asymptomatic out there and or just have minimal disease. And, you know, that's how we stop it is from you giving it to other people, stopping the spread. You know, this is coming back. This is coming back in the fall. Most likely, more likely than not, over 90% likelihood. It's going to come back in the fall. Hopefully it's going to go away by summer. Most people predict it'll be gone in Arizona by late June, early July, and it'll probably come around when the flu hits again. But by that time, many of us will have immunity to it. Many of us will have had it already. And when it comes to us, we're going to say, hey, get away. You know, I had you already. I can fight you off really, really easily. That's going to be one. I doubt we'll have a vaccine by then. I doubt we'll have any medicines that really work that well by then. This thing is very, very tough. Viruses in general are tough, you know, to treat with medications. And, you know, I think we'll be better off with the second wave. The third wave, the next year in 2021, I think by that time we'll probably have a vaccine and getting the vaccine would help us, okay? People say flattening the curve. All it really does is it might not even decrease the number of people that get it. So let's assume that 100,000 patients were gonna get it. We don't want all those 100,000 the first month. We want 10,000 a month for 10 months or so. That's an exaggeration, it's oversimplification, but the people who are gonna get it are probably gonna get it. And most estimates are that between 50 and 70% of the United States will get this, whether they are carriers, you know, get sick or not sick. That's pretty staggering when you think about it that way. We're talking to Dr. Frank Lavecchio about all things coronavirus, the latest in the fight against this nasty virus. Um, many places have been shut down, but there are some places that are still open, the essential places like grocery stores. And, you know, we've all seen those pictures online, people uh, with gloves on or plastic bags over their heads, just trying to figure it out. Um, how can we change our habits in the places we have to go? So we all have to get groceries. We all have to get our, our prescriptions. Is there Are there simple things we can do to make those places a little bit safer and healthier for everybody? Yeah, and I do see people wear gloves, you know, but it's kind of silly to wear the gloves and, you know, just kind of for your whole day. I mean, the plastic is going to hold on to it. The gloves are going to hold on to the virus. What we do when we examine somebody, we go into the room, maybe with our gloves, and a second, preferably before you even walk out or close to walking out, is you're, you're throwing the gloves away, okay, because you don't want to spread it because it is on your gloves. So I think you have to try to keep your social distance, try to keep it to a minimum. If you do wear gloves, realize that you probably have the virus on your hands if you touch something that had it. And remember, you know, one of the main ways we get this, we talk about these masks, et cetera. It, it's crazy, but one of the main functions of having a mask on is it stops you from touching your face. Okay, we touch our face 15 to 20 times per hour. Kind of crazy. It's a weird habit we all have. I have it myself. And I think that's one of the main benefits of having a mask. So if it stops you from... If you touch the virus on a surface and then you touch your face, hey, you know what? You could get it, right? But if you touch the touch a surface and then touch your mask, you know, more likely than not, it's not you're not going to get it. Right. So it's protecting you, just not in the way people think. Right. Exactly. That's one of the main functions of it is you know avoiding touching your face. 
So you're talking about this, you know, how this is going to come back in the fall. We're not going to be done with this once this first um, wave recedes. We've seen, we've heard about a second wave happening in China. What can people prepare for? Um, you know, we're already tired and fatigued and a lot of us are, um, you know, experiencing mental health impacts of this. So how do we stay strong um, throughout this whole situation? I think what's going to help us is we're going to see like, you know, New York turn the corner. We we saw China turn the corner. We saw Korea turn the corner. Hopefully Italy, you know, it, we think is, is going to start turning the corner or has le- leveled off. I mean, there is hope, you know, and it's not like this is going to happen and we're going to have to do social distancing and, you know, have this in our lives for, you know, more than a month or so. I think by July or so, give or take, most of it will be over. Almost all estimates are that we're going to peak in late April. So just hang on. You know, a lot of people go to work for you. You know, of course, we would like it not to be spread anymore. How do you keep your mental health? I think I personally, if you're having mental issues and like many of us are, I think there's great websites, great psychiatrists you can talk to, you know, with a webcam or through FaceTime. You don't need to do the face-to-face anymore. And you're not alone. There are people just catering to, you know, healthcare providers. You know, it kind of sucks. I mean, you know, uh, if I look, you know, I'm from Italy originally and, you know, three dozen or more physicians died from it. You know, one tenth of the people that are affected in Italy were healthcare providers. You know, it kind of sucks. You know, I mean, I don't want to compare it to certain things, but it's kind of like a fireman. You know, everyone's running one way, getting out of there and you're running in to the fire. We thank you for everything you're doing and all healthcare heroes for, you know, braving this for us. Um, our audio producer today, Chencho Flores, um, has been working with me for several weeks on this, and um, he has a question for you. Are you guys concerned at all about people being afraid to seek medical help for stuff that they need because they don't want to go into the ER or go into their doctor's office? Chencho, that's a great um, question. And I think we are seeing more of that. And I know it sounds crazy, but I see people with just, you know, diabetes or congestive heart failure that normally would have come in, you know, a day or two sooner. But they were just like, look, I know this is the worst place for me. And I don't have a great answer for that. You know, maybe telemedicine, you know, maybe knowing your body. But, uh, you know, and a lot of those patients end up getting admitted and staying in the hospital. Obviously, you know, I can tell you for sure, you know, there's a lot of patients who have it in the hospital. It might not be the best place for you if you're sick, but we are seeing patients with chronic disease kind of maybe wait a little too long. As we kind of wrap up, I know there's there's a lot of information out there and not all of it is totally accurate. So um, as a physician on the front lines, what are some of the major takeaways? What do you want our audience to, to to really know? I think we're going to get through this. Okay, we're going to get through this and we're going to come out better on the other side because we're going to have a better understanding. I think that, you know, most people, 85% of us or so, are going to be asymptomatic or have minimal symptoms. I think, you know, uh, a small percentage of us are going to get sick. And of that, an even smaller percentage of us are going to need hospitalization. An even smaller percentage of us are going to need ICU. And, you know, depending on who you read, some of us are going to die, unfortunately. That, that number varies. Hopefully, we're doing better. But, you know, give or take one, two percent or so are going to die. 
just remember that the way you can help us is decreasing the attack rate or what we call the r not or the number of people you give it to if you're an asymptomatic carrier. Try to do the social distancing. Try to clean your hands. Try not to spread it if you have it. Try to isolate if you do have it. Protect others. Check on your elderly folks. Anyone who's a little bit older, maybe just kind of check on them. Information is the best um, source of power right now, and accurate information is obviously key. So uh, valleywisehealth.org is a good place to start. We've got tons of information and resources that link out to the CDC and other um, reputable sources. So Dr. Lavecchio, thank you so much for your time. I know I've learned a lot and we appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to Valley Well Via Salute, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There, you'll find blogs and videos from our healthcare providers, and you can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.